0: Good to be back in the pulpit this morning, and yet I realized last week you got a special treat. Brother Ray Weddington did a tremendous job of preaching the gospel. I got to listen to the lesson after I got back, and it was a wonderfully uh, well-prepared, well-delivered lesson. But you know, we at Bibbies are blessed with a number of good men who are able to preach and to teach God's word. And then last Sunday evening, to be able to see the young men do a great job and Conducting the services and to know how well they're growing in God's Word. We're studying on Sunday mornings from the book of Colossians. Paul wrote a letter to this wonderful church, realizing that the church there needed some instruction, needed some encouragement. And this morning we're going to study chapter 3, verses 12 through 15. And I'd encourage you to open your Bibles there if you've not already. And then let us begin. I want to start with the way of trying to focus your mind in this direction, if you will. Do you remember your childhood and in the spring getting a new set of church clothes? I remember that vividly. In fact, there's one set of clothes I remember above all others. I was probably three or four years old, or at least it seems like that. I had an uncle who was serving in the Navy, and I had begged for, and I got, a white sailor suit. And I remember how enthusiastic I was, how unenthusiastic my mother was, because White and Tony did not go together. Uh, She knew how much I liked to play in the dirt, and... uh, but I want you to think back. I want you to think about the, the getting of this new set of clothes and what it meant. In the previous lesson, two weeks ago, we discussed Paul's lesson on breaking with our past. And he talked about put to death the things which are upon this earth. And then he talked about taking off all of those dirty things that ought not be of the life of a Christian. And you know it's easy to focus on the negative part of that because there's so many things that ought not be a part of our lives. But I want to take now this part, beginning with verse 12, and I want to talk about it being positive. Some various things in our lives that we ought to aspire to have. Things that you and I need to find and to put on in our lives If you will, a set of new clothes and something to be enthusiastic about. Something that we say, that's what I want to be and who I want to be. We're going to break it down into two parts. The first is going to be the first part of chapter 3, verse 12, and it's going to be dressed for success. And I want to break down those first few words of verse 12. And then I want to talk about the decoration for saints. In other words, what kind of of things do you put on? Just like, for instance, if you get up in the morning and you say, okay, I'm going to church, Sister Jane's going to put her hat on, most of us guys are going to put our ties on. There's the decorations that we have that add beauty to who we ought to be. Do you realize that in Christians there ought to be a beauty, there ought to be a, a, a niceness that we ought to have that people can look at and appreciate? and know us for let's begin with the first part of verse 12 and there Paul writes therefore as the elect of God holy and beloved put on now I use the phrase dressed for success because the truth is we live in an age today that doesn't really appreciate that I can't tell you how many times I've seen young people say, I went and did a job interview and nobody was impressed with me. And I look at them and they're wearing uh, tattered and cut off shorts and flip flops. And and they, you know, why didn't I impress them? I said, you got to dress for success. It seems as if this newer generation has this idea that, that if I can dress sloppy, that makes me look good. And I will tell you, it doesn't impress bosses. If you're going job hunting, you're going to try to get business from someone else, or if you're going to go to a formal event, I think about a young man who you know this is the time of year when people are planning their weddings they're going to be in the first of June and I want you to imagine here is a bride she's she spent several hundred dollars on a dress. Here's all of her bridesmaids, and they've had their uh their dresses made. And the bride looks at the groom and says, what are you going to wear? Well, I was thinking about wearing my flannel shirt and my blue jeans. "Uh Uh-uh. You're not going to wear that. Do you know even the Bible addresses that very topic? In Matthew 22, verses 11 and 12, Jesus was giving a parable and it was about a wedding that is going to take place. And we read there, but when the king came in to see the guest, he saw a man who did not have on a wedding garment. So he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. You imagine you go and you're not properly dressed for the event that you're attending. And Jesus' point was, why don't you have on appropriate clothes? He didn't have any answer for that. At least no good excuse that he was willing to offer to the king. Well, now let me think with you for just a second. What about appropriate dress for a person who is a child of God? Because he says, as the elect of God, we're not just anybody. We're Christians. And the life that we live represents who it is that we serve. My life should reflect in every way an honor and a respect and a dignity for the God that you and I serve. I want you to listen to 1 Timothy chapter 2 verses 8 through 10. He says, "I desire therefore that the men pray in everywhere or everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. In like manner also That the women adorn themselves with modest apparel, with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair, gold, pearls, or costly clothing, but which is, now listen carefully, proper for women professing godliness with good works. If a woman professes godliness, she says, I am a child of God. Should her life reflect that? Absolutely it should. It should reflect it in the kind of clothing physically that she wears. I mean, she shouldn't be walking around half-dressed like the world because she's a child of God. She shouldn't be displaying her body for others to lust after, and that's certainly a problem in the world today as the elect of God holy and beloved put on but then i go to 1 peter chapter 3 verses 1 through 6 and peter is describing if you will the good wife and he says wives be submissive to your own husbands that even if some do not obey the word they without the word may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear, do not let your outward or your adornment be merely outward, the arranging of hair, the wearing of gold, the putting on a fine apparel, but rather let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit. For in this manner in former times holy women who trusted in God, adorned themselves. Do you see what Peter is saying here? He's talking about the inward beauty of a woman. And he says that's the way that godly women adorn themselves. Oh, you see, the clothing that we're studying about is not just what you wear on the outside, but it's what you wear on the inside. And it reflects to people When they see you in your life. In Titus chapter 2 verses 9 and 10. He particularly looks at those who are slaves and servants. And he says to be obedient to their own masters. To be well pleasing in all things. Not answering back. Not pilfering. But showing all good fidelity. Now listen. That they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. So it doesn't matter if you're a man, it doesn't matter if you're a woman, it doesn't matter if you're a servant, slave, employee. Your life should reflect, holy and beloved, a life that you are a child of God. Now for the remainder of the time, let's talk about the decoration for saints. What is it that you and I put on that makes us beautiful in God's sight, and beautiful in the sight of those people who appreciate good things. Put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so also you must do. But above all things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you are also called in one body, and be thankful. Now, as I start thinking about the various things here, he's describing, he's giving a list, if you will. If someone were to say, what makes that woman beautiful? Beautiful. Someone might say outwardly she wears beautiful clothing. But she has a lot of other adornments. Maybe she has a scarf that looks really beautiful and it matches her hair and her hat. Or maybe she she wears some sort of a necklace or bracelet or something such as that. Maybe it's her beautiful shoes. You see what he's, a person would be describing are outward perceptible things. Okay, what makes a Christian look good? Tender mercies. If you're reading older translations, you'll see bowels of compassion, and in our minds, you put the word bowels together and it doesn't really attach a meaning to us because we tend to think, you know, what does my digestive system have to do with being compassionate and being merciful? But you see, for the Greeks and as well as the Hebrews, that was a way you expressed. Where your seat of emotions was at. For instance, you would say to a young man may look at a woman and say, "Oh, I just love you with all my heart. <laughs> Do you really love with that piece of muscle that plumps the blood throughout the rest of your body?" Oh no, no, that's not what I'm talking about. That's a figure of speech. Bowels of compassion, bowels of mercy, is a reference to the part of the seat of the emotions. And when he starts talking about mercy, he's talking about the way you and I feel and treat other people. Let me give you some illustrations. Luke 6, 35. love your enemies, do good and lend, hoping nothing in return, and your reward will be great for, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind To the unthankful and evil, therefore be merciful just as your Father also is merciful. You see, I see someone else and I see their needs and I feel some compassion for them. Most likely, I have been where they are and experienced what they are going through. And so I feel for them and I want them to be cared for. Psalm 145 verse 9. The Lord is good to all and his tender mercies over all his works. Proverbs 12.10. A righteous man regards the life of his animal, but the tender mercies of the wicked are cruel. You see, it's a person who can even see an animal suffering and feel compassion, feel concern, show mercy the tender mercies that you and I should have are the kind is that we care about people. We care about their misfortune. We care about their needs. And we show that compassion toward them. And then he says kindness. Boy, do we ever need that in our world today. People who know how to be kind to one another. In the Bible, this word is often said in opposition to severity. I know that you know people that are mean, they're harsh. We sometimes say they're blunt or they're frank. We know people who will just say something harsh to your face, but now we also know that they're kind people who know how to say thank you. Who know how to express appreciation. In Romans eleven twenty two, therefore consider the goodness and severity of God. On those who fail severity, but toward you goodness, if you continue in his goodness, otherwise you will be cut off. Ephesians two seven, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. You know what God did for us? When you and I were rude and obnoxious to God, God sent forth His own Son to die for our sins. He was kind when we didn't deserve kindness. The third thing that He speaks of is humility. We also live in a world of arrogance. We live in a me generation that says it's all about me but humility says you're more important than me. Your needs and even your desires are more important than my needs and my desires. I'm putting you up here and myself down here. Philippians chapter 2. Paul is going to contrast what Jesus did in humbling himself on the cross. He said in verse 3, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. We may look at a man who's wealthy. We may look at a man who's very intelligent. We may look at a man of great prominence and we may say, They're better than me. They've got more money than I've got. They're smarter than I am. They're more recognized than I am. But you know the way the Bible pictures a child of God? He's the one that looks at the least of these, my brethren. And he says, I need to make sure that I treat them well also. Ephesians 4 verse 2, with all lowliness and gentleness with long-suffering, bearing one another in love. Then the word meekness. This is the most misunderstood term. Because we use in our language today a a phrase that says, well, he's as meek as a mouse. And we tie with the word meek our word weak. Weak. And that's not true at all. Because that's not what this word means. In fact, it was used to describe a man who had, for instance, a horse. And it was wild. And the trainer comes and he trains that horse to be productive, to be where he can be ridden so he's gentle. So you can even put a child on that horse. Is the horse as strong as it ever was? Absolutely. But now that strength has been brought under control. Are Christians people with strong passions? Absolutely they are. Are there people who have strong convictions? Sure. But these are also people who can hold back Someone says something angrily toward you, and you don't respond. Someone says, well, he's weak. No, not weak. It actually takes a whole lot more effort to hold back from saying something wicked in return, evil in return, than to just simply vent your feelings. Jesus absolutely was the strongest man in His Constitution that ever walked the face of this earth. And when Jesus was put before Pilate, do you not answer anything? What good would it have done? They would have only twisted His words. In Galatians 6 and verse 1, Paul would write, Brethren, If a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. The older translation is the spirit of meekness. Consider yourself lest you also be tempted. Let me tell you what happens many times when we find someone who is overcome by a sin or trespass. We want to let them have it. And Paul said, you don't do it that way. You do it in a spirit of meekness. You do it in a spirit of gentleness. You have to realize you yourself could be tempted. Don't become so arrogant. Don't become so high-minded. Treat people right. 1 Corinthians 4 verse 21. What do you want? Shall I come to you with a rod or in a spirit or in love in a spirit of gentleness or spirit of meekness? Paul said, what do you want from me? Obviously, we want the gentleness, the meekness long suffering, you know you start thinking about long suffering that denotes the idea that a person can put up with things for a long time. patient forbearance, first Timothy chapter one and verse sixteen. However, for this reason, I obtain mercy that in me first, Jesus Christ might show all long suffering. As a pattern for those who are going to believe on him for eternal or everlasting life. Was God long suffering with Paul? Absolutely he was. Here's a man who held the garments of those who stoned Stephen. Perhaps God could have looked and said, I'm done with that man. Mark him off the face of the earth. But no, God was patient with him. God was long suffering toward Paul. First Peter 3.20, who formerly were disobedient. When once the divine long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which few that is eight souls were saved through water. God was very patient, long suffering. You know why he was patient, long-suffering? Second like Peter chapter three, verses nine and ten says. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now I want you to notice, let's keep focusing on what the text says. After he gives that list of things, then he explains how this is accomplished by using two participles. And I know you're not here for an English lesson, but many times participles, especially present ones, will explain how you do something. Like, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, Matthew 28, verse 19. Well, how do you do that, Lord? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you, and, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Well, how is it that I exhibit these? Well, he says, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. You see all those lists of things? Here's how I can accomplish that. I've got to bear with you and you've got to bear with me when we're trying to learn the difference between right and wrong. Not be so fast to criticize. Not be so fast to condemn. But be fast to show compassion. Be fast to show concern. Forgiving one another. And someone would say, but they have wronged me. They have treated me badly. Well, they may have. But he says, if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so also you must do. Oh, I means that I've got to look and say, I've been forgiven and I didn't really deserve it. And here's my brother, my sister, who says, I'm sorry what I do. I forgive them. That reflects the best Christian decoration that you and I can show. Matthew 6, verses 14 and 15, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Luke 6.37, judge not and you shall not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Then he says, above all things, put on love which is the bond of perfection. Above all indicates this is the thing of the highest importance, It's the number one thing. You want to study about that? Go to 1 Corinthians 13. I'm just going to bring verses 1 through 3 into play here. Though I speak with the tongue of men and angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, though I have faith so that I can remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. Although I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. You know, I can adorn all these other characteristics. and People look at me and say, you know, they may be good. But he says, if I don't have love as the right motivation, he says it's not going to accomplish any good. You can dress up like you're a rich person, Unless you've got the wealth to go with it, you're not rich. You can dress up like you are a child of God, but you don't have love. You're not really acting like a child of God. He said it is the bond of perfection. It's the perfect spiritual super glue. I don't know how many of you have stuck your fingers together with super glue, but I have numerous. Every time I use Superglue, I stick my fingers together. They don't want to turn loose. Love is the bond of spiritual perfection, it's what holds God's people together. And he said, The peace of God will rule here. That means it's the arbiter of your life. That's what. God's peace rules in your life and then he ends up with be thankful. Be thankful for what God has done for you what others have done for you. The only way that you and I will ever be what God wants us to be is to be an appreciative people. It's time to put on a new set of clothes. It's time to not live those old, dirty clothes on in our lives, but it's time to be adorned with these spiritual clothes. And the time that you put these on is when you're baptized into Christ and someone says, well, I had not really put them all on yet. Well, that's possible. Sometimes it takes a while for people to put on what they need. But if you're a Christian, you've neglected your dress, it's time to correct it. I know we have people here in this audience who are not yet Christians. Some of you are young. Maybe you're just now understanding, just learning what it means to be a Christian You know that you have to have faith in God. You know that you have to repent of your sins. You know you have to confess that faith and then you have to be baptized. We have some older people in the audience too that need to do that. I wish I could beg and plead with everybody who knows what they need to do to do it. you see, the truth is, it's a choice on your part. You either decide, I, this is who I want to be, this is how I want to live, and heaven's where I want to go, or you don't. Here's another reality. Some of us may be prodigal sons, We keep saying in our heart, I'm going to go home. I'm going to go home. I'm going to make things right with my father. But to this point, we've not yet done that. It's time for you to come home. The father is looking for you. He's waiting for you. He's ready to forgive you. If you're ready to respond, would you come as we sing number 263, I'm coming Lord. Would you stand as we sing?